Aquinas and uh, Platonism. Uh, my talk will be about Thomas' constructive use of his platonic sources, how he read them and how he tried to integrate them in his own philosophy. So, uh, Aquinas and Platonism. While preparing for this lecture, a book called my eye from a dusty corner of my bookcase, Father Henley's St. Thomas and Platonism. The book from 1954 was presented as a dissertation at the Pontifical Medieval Institute of Toronto. It contains, in its first part, a useful overview of all text in which Thomas explicitly refers to the philosophical positions of Plato and of the Platonici. Uh, this study was clearly a sign of the growing awareness in those days of the substantial presence and influence of Platonic sources in the writings of Aquinas. More and more Thomistic scholars acknowledged that the traditional picture of Aquinas as an essential Aristotelian thinker should be adjusted. Since the epochal studies of Febro and Gaiget in the 40s and 50s of the last century, the picture of Aquinas as a faithful follower of Aristotle has lost a great deal of his credibility. Thomas' constructive use of Platonic sources in, it, in his philosophy is obfuscated for a great deal by the later invention of the so-called Philosophia Aristotelico-Thomistica. But still, the Aristotelian paradigm of Aquinas' philosophy remains strong and influential until the present day. Especially Thomistic philosophers, as distinguished from their theological fellows, tend to read Aquinas as a philosopher, as a follower of the philosopher Aristotle. Compare the judgment of Rolf McEnany in his article in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. I quote, as a philosopher, Thomas is emphatically Aristotelian. And in his book, Preambula Fidei, from 2006, he argues for, for a return to the notion of an Aristotelico Thomism, that is, Thomistic philosophy as the organic development of the thought of, of Aristotle. And he is not alone in this clear and unambiguous plea for, uh, for Aquinas the Aristotelian. Uh, so the debate on the alleged Aristotelian the Aristotelianism of Thomas Aquinas versus the impact of Platonism on his thought is not yet concluded. The question still is how Thomas' constructive use of Platonic sources, especially in his doctrine of creation, should be assessed and which principles and considerations were actually guiding him in this use. The thesis I want to defend in this lecture is that Thomas' constructive reception of Platonism, especially the Platonism he found in the work of Pseudo-Dionysius uh, and in the Liber de Causis, takes place within the framework of the science of metaphysics, a philosophical discipline 
in its own right, which has been defined and treated in an exemplary manner in Aristotle's book bearing the same name. Thus, yes, for Thomas, Aristotle remained in many respects the exemplary philosopher, whose philosophical science of metaphysics required a supplement construed on the basis of platonic sources, given Thomas' attention to come to a more adequate theory of the first principle and the causality of creation. I will elaborate my thesis in three parts. First, I argue that the Platonism of the Liber de Causis and of Pseudo-Dionysius as interpreted and adapted by Thomas is not so much opposed to Aristotelian philosophy. It allows itself to be integrated, in Thomas' view, into the framework of the metaphysical science of being and its transcendent causes. Such modified Platonism becomes an integral part of a metaphysics based on Aristotelian principles. Second, second part, Aristotle's fundamental critique of Plato's doctrine of ideas is fully accepted by Thomas with respect to the species of natural things, or the particular notions, but not with respect to the maxime communia, that is the most common notions such as being, good, and one. Here, with respect to these common notions, Thomas acknowledges the relative validity of the platonic abstraction. Finally, in the last part of my lecture, I want to show that the Aristotelian thesis of the unity of the substantial form has guided Thomas in his critical correction or modification of the platonic multiplicity of hypostatic causes. In his commentary on the Liber de Causis, we see him defending the unity in the order of the divine causality, which is required by the thesis of the unity of, subst of substantial form in the order of created being. And the position of the unity of the divine cause is connected with Thomas' understanding of being as a universal perfection. Now, my first part. First, I will make some remarks about how Thomas viewed the essential difference between Aristotle's approach and philosophy and Plato's. It seems to me that in general, Thomas had a very clear and correct understanding of the differences between Aristotle and Plato. In reference to a text in Simplicius' commentary on the categories, he explains these differences in the following terms. Peculiar to the Platonists, he says, is that they, in their inquiring into the nature of things, proceed on the basis of intelligible essences, rationis intelligibles. This, uh, while Aristotle proceeds from sensible reality, ex sensibilibus. This is an important difference. So the basic principle of Aristotle is, we only come to an understanding of the intelligible essence of things 
on the basis of sin's experience. Uh, one must know that the Aristotelian way of proceeding ex sensibilibus concerns the question of the intelligibility of reality. So for Aristotle, the senses are the permanent condition of our access to the intelligibility of reality. The human intellect is unable to grasp the, the truth of things immediately by means of an intellectual intuition, but rather arrives discursively at the knowledge of the truth of its objects on the basis of the sensory appearance of that object. To me, this seems this seems uh, essential to the Aristotelian approach to philosophy, in contrast to the Platonic approach. Hmm? And this is even what Thomas Timon again posits. In our rational knowledge of the transcendent order of the divine, we proceed from the senses. The ex sensibilibus is the permanent condition of the metaphysical movement of thought towards transcendence. This also means that for Thomas, there's no metaphysics without physics. No knowledge of metaphysical objects, such as God, or in general, the separate substances, without transcending the perspective proper to the sense-bound knowledge of physics. Physical knowledge is the default mode of human knowledge. In order to attain the knowledge of what is beyond physics, one must become metaphysical by focusing on the intelligibility proper to a thing as being. Okay, against the background of this fundamental character of Aristotelian philosophy, it is remarkable, to say the least, that in the 13th century, the Liber de Causis, one of the most explicitly neoplatonic sources of Aquinas, was generally thought to be a work of Aristotle. And it was taken to be more or less the supplement of Aristotle's metaphysics. For the scholastic thinkers, it complemented Aristotle's otherwise def deficient account of the first causes of the universe as presented in book Labda of the Metaphysics. Now, even Thomas considered the Liber de Causis a genuine work of Aristotle for a long time at least until Proclus' elements of theology became available to him in the translation of his fellow Dominican, William of Moorbeke. Then it became clear to him, as he described in the preface of his commentary, that the Liber de Causis was in fact the work of an unknown Arabic author who had freely used Proclus' elements of theology. So Aquinas this no longer thinks that the work was Aristotle's. Nevertheless, it seems to me that he continues to regard the Liberty Causes to be a supplement to the science of metaphysics as developed by Aristotle in his book on the metaphysics. Or to put it more carefully, together with the work of Dionysius, the Liber de Causis was the main source from which Thomas borrowed the necessary elements 
for constructing a metaphysical account of the first cause, free from the problematic aspects of Neoplatonism, in particular its polytheistic implications, and as such compatible with the project of metaphysics as defined by Aristotle. As Wayne Henke, the great scholar of Platonism and its influence on Aquinas, who sadly passed away this, this spring, remarked, I quote, Thomas found that the doctrine of the, the divinus nominibus, divine names, was a monotheistically modified Platonism, like that of the Liberty Causes, end of quote. And this monotheistically modified Platonism was, I would suggest, perfectly acceptable in Aquinas' eyes as the theological supplement of the science of metaphysics, and the method of which consists in a reductive movement from the being common to all things to the first being, of the first cause of, of being. Second part, let us now proceed to uh, Dionysius' work on the divine names, that, that other source of Platonic thought so important to Aquinas' doctrine of God. So as a theologian, Thomas is most of all interested in the theological part of metaphysics. The doctrine of the first cause and its universal causality with respect to the lower reality. It is with respect to this part of metaphysics that Aristotle's work of metaphysics might have been disappointing to Thomas. Aristotle does not offer a substantial account of the causality of the first principle in such a way that it would fit the Christian notion of creation. But Dionysius has more to offer in this area in line with Neoplatonic thought. So the question arises, therefore, of how Aquinas succeeds in aligning Dionysius' account with the basic principles of Aristotelian philosophy. How can Dionysius be saved, so to say, from Aristotle's critique of the Platonic doctrine of forms and be integrated into the philosophical science of metaphysics? Now, in looking for an answer to these questions, we will now turn to the introductory text of Thomas' commentary on the divine names. In this premium, he sets out to introduce the writings of Dionysius to his readers and to clarify uh, his philosophical allegiance. One of the difficulties the modern reader of Dionysius will experience Aquinas explains, is caused by the fact that he frequently uses a platonic style which is no longer customary in our times, eh? aput modernos. And Dionysius' style and philosophical language is platonic in character, while we, Thomas and his contemporaries, are used to the style and way of thought of Aristotle. But Dionysius' Platonic style does not make him, in Thomas' eyes, a genuinely Platonic thinker 
who subscribes to the basic positions of Platonic philosophy. In a very subtle manner, Aquinas argues that Dionysius uh, distances himself with those aspects of Platonism, in particular the doctrine of the ideal forms, which are contrary to the Christian faith and to rational truth. Aquinas wants to show that the Platonism of Dionysius is a revised Platonism, which does not fall under the critique of Aristotle. A revised Platonism, which not only concords with the Christian faith, but can be seen as an important contribution to that part of metaphysics which studies the divine causality of being. Uh, in the preface, Aquinas explains that the Platonic way of thought is characterized by hypostasizing formal principles. Platonists hold that the species of things exist in themselves and separately. This they say, for instance, that this particular human being is not essentially a human being, but is a man by participation in the universal idea of man. They assume an immediate correspondence between the conditions of thought and the conditions of being. As a species can be thought separately from its individualizing and material conditions, they must also exist separately. Well, this way of hypostasizing intelligible aspects of things is not only applied to the species of things, but also to the most common predicates, such as good, one, and being. In other words, to the transcendental properties of being. It is with help of this distinction between, on the one hand, the categorical forms of our species, a genus, and the transcendental forms, being, good, one, that Aquinas is able to grant a relative truth to the position of the Platonist. I quote from his uh, premium, uh, the Platonist not only considered abstraction of this kind regarding the ultimate species of natural things, but also concerning the most common features, which are good, one, and being. Now, the reasoning of the Platonist concords neither with faith nor with the truth, insofar as it, it concerns the separateness of natural species, so the categorical notions. But regarding to what they say concerning the first principle of things, their opinion is most true and consonant with the Christian faith. Uh, this is what we see is that a distinction is made between the species of natural things which fall under the consideration of the science of physics and the maxima communia that are the transcendentals which define the proper object domain of metaphysics. With respect to the species of natural things, Thomas definitely rejects the separate ex existence. 
He fully endorses Aristotle's critique that the real separateness of species and genia would result in the loss of the essential unity of concrete substances. Socrates would not essentially be a human being if the species were distinct and separate from the concrete individual reality of Socrates. However, the case is different if we consider the most common predicates, bonum, unum, and ens, here at the level of the transcendentia, the hypostasizing type of abstraction of Platonism does have an acceptable and legitimate sense. The Platonist, Thomas explains, posits something primary, which is the essence of goodness, the essence of unity, and the essence of being, and this we call God. Thus we see that all things are said to be good, one of beings, by way of derivation from that primary principle. This is, in Nietzsche, the platonic doctrine of the first principle and his participate uh, causality as present in the theology of Dionysius, and which is judged by Aquinas to be consonant with the Christian faith. Uh, two short comments on this account of the first principle in its causality. Thomas speaks here in a platonic fashion of the essence of goodness and the essence of unity. Uh, it's a platonic expression. But while a Platonist would consider the essence of goodness as a hypothetical reality, in fact, being the first principle of everything, Thomas doesn't regard the essence of goodness as a reality of its own right. The essence of goodness and the essence of unity are identical with being, ipsum esse. And this is for Thomas the primary designation of the first cause. The first cause must be, in the first place, un un understood as ipsum esse. Uh, especially insofar as it is the first efficient cause of all things. So the Dionysian primacy of the good is the first name in the series of names of God. Hmm? is changed into the primacy of being and Thomas Aquinas. Uh, then my second comment. Thomas' account of the first principle and his participated causality fits into the Aristotelian model, model of a science of metaphysics. Metaphysics is the study of being as common to all things and of the separate causes of being. It is the science of metaphysics which tells us that there must be a first in a reality, which is essentially being, and being per essentiam, and essentially good, and that all things which are receive their being and their goodness from this principle. For Thomas, this is the message of Aristotle philosophy. See, for instance, his set reference to the second book of the metaphysics about the degrees of being. There must be something primary 
which is maxime ens, and as such, the cause of all subsequent beings. The alleged concordance between Plato and Aristotle with respect to the primary being is, for Thomas, not so much an historical fact, but rather, I think, a hermeneutical claim in construction. Thomas wants to show that Plato, especially in the form of the Platonism he finds in Dionysius, has important things to contribute to the metaphysical doctrine of the first cause, and it's the first principle in its causality. And these valuable aspects of Platonism can be understood as an integral part, even as a further development, of the Aristotelian project of the metaphysical science of being and its transcendent causes. The last part of my lecture. Uh, I want to discuss some comments Thomas made in his commentary on the liberty causes. I will limit myself to his exposition on the, of the third proposition. Here we see Thomas drawing a sketch, a global sketch, of the Neoplatonic hierarchy of the divine forms. Then he goes on to explain that both Dionysius and the author of the Liber correct this position of pagan Platonism with respect to the plurality of divine forms. Clarifying the system of Proclean metaphysics, Aquinas begins by reminding the reader of the basics of Platonism. Plato, he says, again, posited, posited universal forms that were separate and per se subsistent. Because such universal forms exercise a certain causality over particular things that participate in them, he, that is Proclus, calls such forms gods. Furthermore, among these forms, he assumed a certain order, according to the principle that the more universal a form is, the more simple and prior a cause it is. For the first form is participated in by all the later forms. In this order of ideal forms, the first is the separate one, and good itself, which is called the highest God and the first cause of all things. One and the good. Now, Thomas continues. Dionysius did not accept the platonic position regarding the plurality of ideal forms. There are not so many, there are not many forms so that one would be per se goodness, another per se being, another per se life, and so on with regard to the others. According to Dionysius, they are all one and identical with the first cause of all things. And there is but one first cause, and this cause is the source of life of all living things, the source of being of all being things, etc. So the Dionysian monotheistic modification of Platonism results in what is close to Thomas' own understanding of God. God is defined as being itself. 
God is understood as being itself, and as such, he is the very essence of goodness. And this, whatever belongs to the perfection of goodness and of being, belongs essentially to him. Because God is being itself, the fullness of being, he is the essence of life, of wisdom, of power, and the rest. So God includes in himself all the formal perfections and simple unity. And this means that he possesses the universality of causality with respect to the whole of the reality. So Thomas' understanding of being as a universal perfection makes it possible to conceive of God as the one and unique cause of everything, comprehending in itself the fullness of perfection. Well, the author of the Liber follows Dionysius in this monotheistic correction of pagan Platonism. He does not speak of a multitude of gods like Proclus, but rather establishes, as Thomas observes, unity in God, unitatum in Deo constituit. There is but one creative principle, being itself, which is the cause of the being of all things. Aristotle, Thomas says, agrees with this opinion. See the second book of the metaphysics. The defense of the unity of God is not only motivated by Christian monotheism, it is also a necessary implication of Aristotle, of Aristotelian philosophy, in particular the position of the unity of substantial form. Being itself, which is the principal name of the first cause, is not only the source of the being of all things, the being all things has in common, uh, but also the source of the differentiating perfections of that being and the different things. Uh, if, would, if one would assume a plurality of the divine causes, according to Thomas, the consequence, the consequence would be loss of the substantial unity of things. I quote, if the soul, if the soul has being, had being from one cause and an intellectual nature from something else, it would follow that it would not be absolutely one. Therefore, one has to say that the soul not only has essence, but also has intellectuality. It's specific differentiating perfection from the first cause. And this accords with the opinion of Dionysius, end of quote. So things have their being and their specific mode of being for one and the same principle, which is being itself and as such the fullness of being. Now something about being, and Thomas' understanding of, of the peculiar understanding of being. For Thomas, being signifies, we can say, the formal reason of all perfection. Each thing, each thing is perfect insofar as it has being. So where being is present without any limitation, as it is in God, 
it follows that by reason of his being, God possesses the fullness of perfection. Is this a platonic way of reasoning? Is ipsum esse subsistence a platonic expression? Result of a hypothetical abstraction? Now, I would say partly, but more important is that in Thomas' doctrine of God, being is given priority and good, eh? uh, given priority. Characteristics of the Christian Platonism of Thomas is the identity of being and good in God. And within this identity, being has priority. Why? The reason is that the supreme good of Plato must be more than an ideal principle. It must be an Aristotelian agent, a real principle with an effective power to create. For Aquinas, God can only be an efficient agent by reason of his being. Uh, for Thomas, the being of God is not so much an intelligible form taken in itself. It is subsistent and at such a real cause. The central place granted to being in the transcendent realm is an important modification with respect to the traditional uh, platonic primacy of the good. For Aquinas, the good is coextensive with being. Every being is good. And thus, in the absolute good, is the absolute good identical with absolute being? And because of this identity with being, the absolute good may be called God. This is important. Because of its identity with being, the absolute good may be called God. And this is a significant change in the relationship between being and good. The assumption is that the name God stands for a real effective principle. Thus, only as identical with being can the absolute God, absolute good, be identified with God, who is the first effective, effective principle which grants being to creatures. The good itself of Platonism is not unconditionally qualified as a creator God. Yeah, as the creator God Thomas is looking for. In God, the attribute of the good is relocated, one can say, is relocated and associated with final causality in God. The final causality is the motivating cause of God's action. God creates because he wants to communicate his goodness as much as possible to others according to the Platonic principle, bonum est diffusivum sui. But he can create by reason of the infinite power of being he incorporates. So, uh, what can we conclude so far? Uh, undoubtedly, there's a lot of Platonism uh, to be found in Thomas, especially with regard to the doctrine of the first principle and its participative causality. But the Platonism is modified in its method and basic assumptions, even corrected, so that it fits the science of metaphysics, which is a philosophical science of the intelligibility of being common to all things, and as such to be reduced to a first principle 
which is being an identity with itself, ipsum esse, ipsum esse subsistence. Speaking of ipsum esse sounds platonic, but for Thomas, it is not an ideal form, distinguished from other forms. It is the name of a real and effective power, the cause of being, which must comprehend in itself the fullness of perfection. So, thank you very much. <laughs>